Hey guys, welcome back. If you're a returning listener or watcher, and if you're new, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a comment on YouTube or social media to let me know what you think. Coming up today, we have Roger Joseph Manning Jr., uh, best known for his work in the band Jellyfish, of which his newest band, the Licorice Quartet, features three members, Roger, Tim Smith, and Eric Dover. And Roger's also done session work for some of the biggest names in the business, including David Bowie, Pink, Adele, Blink-182, Ringo Starr, and uh, he's worked as a keyboardist with Beck for a long time. And we had a really interesting discussion about the music business, why Jellyfish wasn't bigger, and the struggles of trying to grow a project in today's climate. And uh, it's just a great conversation. So buckle up, grab something to eat or drink, sit back and relax. Uh, Unless you're driving, of course, then keep your eyes on the road. Here we go. Top of the uh, something. Top of the pops. That's like some. That's like a reference to something that I and I. I it's something famous, and I'm lo- I'm lost on it for some reason. Well, that's well. That's been the biggest televised hit parade show in England for the last forty years. I don't even know if they still have it, but oh, okay. Video footage uh, that was circulating on VHS and probably is now all over YouTube. Um, of all kinds of famous bands from the, I think primarily the seventies. I don't I think, I don't know if it started in the sixties. If it did, it was late sixties um, through the eighties. And I think it's still going, but yeah, it's, it's heyday was definitely the seventies and eighties. And there's lots of amazing footage. And this is probably some T-Rex performance or something. And that's a shot of the audience. That's awesome. So were you able to see that stuff in the 70s and 80s, or you're saying you looked at the archived stuff later? Yeah, I looked at the archived stuff later, and I got this picture just off the internet. Okay. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so Licorice Quartet. This is great stuff. I'm excited. Um, I've I've heard... Now, is there four songs or five? Because I got sent four, but then there was another song that just came out like a week ago called Sad But True. Is that part of the CP? has nothing to do with us. I don't know what that is. Sad but true. That doesn't. Really? <laughs> it's not even the Licorice Quartet? What? The, it's on your Spotify. That's so bizarre. I'm not sure about that. So you guys have the four songs are fortunately New Days, You All Alone, and In the Meantime then. Correct. Okay. So yeah, take me through the process. Uh, I'm sure you've probably told this before, but just like in terms of writing and recording it, uh, like, first of all, what inspires a lot of the, 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 these kinds of songs? Is it just everything or specific focus that you were going for on this album or this EP? Uh, no, the beginning of 2017, we decided to get together and, and write and, um, just for fun. And we did that. It was a big experiment. A lot of us had not worked together in a musical capacity for a while. So it was going to be good to see each other as friends and, and see if we uh, couldn't get some fun musical ideas out of it, which we did, which naturally led us to want to record them. Uh, we reached out to a drummer friend of ours, Jeremy Stacy, who we assumed would be very excited to, you know, be the fourth member of this group essentially. Um, and he was, and, uh, but he lived, he lived in England. <laughs> mm. so, but by the end of 2017, I think, we were able to get our 
our act together enough uh, to begin recording. And then between everybody's busy schedule, we completed 12 songs over the next, well, four years. Uh, obviously, COVID slowed everything down. But by the time COVID hit in the fall of uh, in the spring of 2020, we had tracked most of the music. Uh, well, I should say 75% of the music. Um, and then we decided, well, let's release these as EPs, not as a full album. It was going to be easier to finish four songs and just kind of disseminate into that, you know, power pop world for our fans, uh, the tunes. So we set out to complete them a little bit at a time. And you're now receiving the third EP, which we literally just finished mixing and recording and mixing this year. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the that's the final statement. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I'm so terrible at describing music, but I, I would call this kind of like, I mean, it's similar to all your other stuff, the jellyfish and everything, but it's like Beatles meets eighties pop, maybe with a modern twist. Is that a good description? I mean, we like all that stuff. So I mean, yeah. hearing it with they hear we, you know, when we write songs and then they pass the test, so to speak, um, it's really about, do they meet all of our needs? So do the songs have a strong melodic content and do they lend themselves to vocal harmonies and a lyric that we're excited about um, that's interesting but fairly progressive but not too alienating? I mean, we, we, want, we want our songs to be... Um, our songs inevitably end up being a bit sophisticated for the average pop fare, but not so not so heady and, and hyper-intellectual that we alienate everybody. Otherwise, I'd be probably doing a progressive rock podcast and not, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's what's so interesting. I mean, when I when you listen to it's like somebody had said, described it perfectly, like either people love you or they don't know you. It, there's, there's nobody that's like, oh, I don't like this kind of music. This is terrible. Like nobody can listen to the songs of Jellyfish or Licorice Quartet and go, oh, this is bad music. I don't think I've ever heard that. Um, so, I mean, cause they are, they're very poppy, but why is it more underground? I don't get it. Uh, because, uh, you know, in pop's evolution in the last 50 years, you know, rock pop, whatever you want to call it, or now, now you could call it hip hop pop. <laughs> um, it's obviously gone through all kinds of evolutions and at different times, different versions of that were popular. You know, it's where you had psych pop in the 60s and it turned into kind of classic blues rock in the 70s that kind of turned into new wave synthesizer pop in the 80s. It was still all three and a half minute, very catchy, dancey, kind of teenage uh, background music. But, you know, um, Pink Floyd 1967 has nothing to do with, uh, I don't know, um, um, the Human League 1983. But it's teenage music. It's teenage pop music with, with catchy melodies and, and hooks and, and lots of fun arranging and, and musicality. You know, all that stuff was very, very musical. And, and now it's continued to evolve into uh, Billie Eilish and Taylor Swift and lots of little dot 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 hip-hop rapper people and and okay but we're drawn to and and what naturally comes out of us is what you've heard over the years through jellyfish imperial drag tv eyes licorice quartet those acts 
our those musical offerings we've had, and certainly our solo records, um, they're not too far from each other. We were poking our mm-hmm. heads into di- slightly different realms, but they would all be sitting next to each other in the same rec- record collection for somebody who was enjoying that. For sure, for sure. Now, do you guys have, you must have like kind of a cult following in terms, there must be, or I should say, I know you have the cult following, but do you have a following of like big musicians that are fans? Cause you've worked with some of the biggest names in the business. Is that, do they pick you out personally because they're fans of you or how do you get those jobs? Like how do you get the jobs for David Bowie and Beck and all these, all these big time artists? Uh, that mostly comes through the producer who's putting the recording session together. So there are a lot of producers and engineers who've been fans of certainly jellyfish over the years. Um, but occasionally those artists will ask for my services as a keyboard player specifically, or somebody wants to write with me or what, what have you. But it mostly comes through a producer who is aware of my particular skill sets. Um, you know, the, you know, I've been on five Morrissey records to this, at this time, but he never asked for me personally. It's, it's come through two different producers. Now, once he got familiar with me, then he said, Oh, can we have Roger back? Is he still available? You know, I'd like to bring him in on a portion of this record or whatever. And then the producer might also have me try arranging strings on a record. Morrissey would be like, I didn't know he arranged strings. I I like his keyboard playing, you know? So it's just like, it's almost like you have to like sell yourself and hustle your name in in that world. Um, If I was, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if Jellyfish or any of these musical offerings got a lot more popular, you would maybe have people saying, you know, Taylor Swift wants to write with Jellyfish or what have you. But it was never, we broke through at a certain M- MTV time for a certain generation. And that was great for the four years it lasted. But um, yeah, it, and it made some noise. And it's all good, but it never, it never reached those other tiers of notoriety. That's all I'm trying to say. Which is weird because for me, like it's easier to listen to a jellyfish or liquor's quartet song than some of the stuff that is more popular. Like, like you like Pink Floyd, like I like Pink Floyd, but some of that stuff is like harder to, it's more prog rock. It's harder to listen to. It's not as easy on the ears as say like a jellyfish, like immediately you're like, oh, this is so catchy. Well, you know, I mean, that's a good example to bring up. Pink Floyd obviously has had tremendous success in their, what, 20-year career or whatever. I mean, now they're selling legacy stuff, but it was, sure. really, about, it was really about those 70s and 80s records. And, and um, yeah, they are, they are more progressive, but also they're more kind of stoner. Well, a whole lot of people like to get high, <laughs> chill out, and veg out to some easy kind of psych music. Yeah. And Pink Floyd has been that very thing. Even for people who don't party a lot and get high, it's almost like they can feel like they are when they listen to Pink Floyd music. It provides that soundtrack and that it provides that ambience and that attitude. Mm-hmm. Jellyfish, if I was going to play devil's advocate, yes, there's ke- catchy melodies and sing along, but it's almost more heady and intellectual in a Steely Dan kind of way. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we could talk and intellectualize it for year, for hours. Um, 
I, I think had more people been exposed to jellyfish and had we had a chance to do a third or fourth record, I think, I think that eventually would have happened again to a greater degree. Our, our, our audience would have simply continued to grow. Right. I mean, right. I mean, Pink Floyd's audience really doesn't start kicking into overdrive till you hit dark side of the moon. And if I'm not mistaken, that's, that's four or five records in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so know. isn't it more marketing and stuff? Because I know for me, like I never heard the name jellyfish until Eric Dover joined slash a snake pit. And then they're like, yeah, Eric Dover is the new singer of snake pit X jellyfish. And I was like, jellyfish. I was like, what? I've never heard of this band. What is this? And like, I don't think I heard your music until years later because i would like why would i buy a jellyfish record if i've never i've never heard on the radio i never saw it on mtv and you could back in those days if you didn't that's the only way that you'd like learn of music uh correct and the fact of the matter is we were on college radio and on a lot of mtv but it was only for about a window of a year and a half we did quite now we we weren't we didn't cross over to pop radio but we did quite well on college radio, uh, which bands could do and they could sell records. MTV helped, definitely, but often it came through repetition, right? Yes. I mean, you could look, you could look uh. at Radiohead and go, well, the first album made lots of noise. It did. And it sold through a little bit, kind of put them on the map. But they weren't the Radiohead that everybody knows now as a household name. Mm-hmm. The second album bumped them up a little bit more, but it was still kind of in that college indie rock world. Then by the third and fourth record, that's when it starts getting way more colossal and their, their, their fan base starts getting just out of the kind of the college kids, high school kids starts going to all kinds of age groups, a lot more countries. It's just more far reaching. Well, that, that arc to get them to their third or fourth record where they're like on the cover of Rolling Stone, on the cover of Spin, Everybody knows about them who might not have known about the first two records, even though the first two records did fine. That starts happening by the fourth album. You know, and again, we're talking about a nineties band. It's, it's mm-hmm. different. Band. But um, you know, they're a good example of that. Had they broken up, had the record company dropped them. Yeah. They would have had some notoriety and fame off the first two records, but they wouldn't be the household name that is Radiohead now. Right. Or, well, or, I think, yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, I remember in the 90s, like Radiohead, it was the song Creep. That was the song they played on the radio. That was the MTV hit that they, and it was like, you're right. It's like the repetition. And then you don't realize like later they, they come up with these albums that like, um, what's the one? OK Computer that everyone, uh, Rolling Stones, like this is the greatest album, one of yeah. the greatest albums of all time. And yeah. But a lot of people just know Creep. That's right. And and Creep was like, you call that Stepping Stone 1. Yeah. And, and belly buttons, that was stepping stone one for us. Well, Radiohead and their record company continued to capitalize off that and they didn't break up. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they, after their second album, did even more business for them. Then they just came with the home run, which was okay. Computer jellyfish broke up. We, we couldn't do album number three. That might've been our home run. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of like King's X. It's like, I feel like that's another band that's similar to Jellyfish in, in the sense that a lot of when you ask musicians, like, what do you listen to or what are your favorite new bands? That I remember that was the one that was like, everyone was saying King's X, King's X, but they never really broke huge, but they still have a pretty big following. They can tour and they can play shows. Yeah. And they were, they were, a lot of people kind of refer to them as like more of like 
the metal edged hard rock jellyfish. Uh, Cause they, 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 they kind of attracted more of that audience and that's what they started to build on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. it's a lot of marketing though. I really like, were you guys like, cause I grew up in Seattle and we had two rock stations there. We had like the hard rock and then we had the alternative rock. Did they play you on the alternative rock there? Do you know? Do you were you played on alternative rock stations? Uh, alternative rock is what is the only arena that Jellyfish was played on. We never we never broke through to top forty regular radio. Yeah, so we got lots of play on alternative college college rock radio. It was you know referred to. I can't speak specifically to the Seattle market, but because I, know I don't that. remember hearing, I feel like I would have because now when I listen, I go, oh, this is the shit that I love now, and I would have loved when I was fifteen. But I don't remember hearing it on uh, the end. That's what the radio station in Seattle. That's like where they first played Nirvana and stuff like that. A lot of those yeah. Seattle bands. Yeah. And, but Nirvana, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, they all broke through to that next tier of, of more commercial pop uh, rock radio. So there's nothing wrong with the college radio. That's a great start. That's a great entry point. They went past that. So wait, what, remind me again what happened then. So it was the, you guys did two Jellyfish records and then did the band break up or the, the label bro, uh, dropped you or, or both? or? No, we broke up. The la- label fortunately did not drop us. They were talking oh. about it. <laughs> and maybe even, even if we stayed together, they might have dropped us before a third record because Spilt Milk did not sell as well as Belly Button did. Hmm. And I know for a fact, uh, the president of the label... Uh, Phil Corderero was getting pressure from his colleagues to drop us. Hmm. He, he refused to do it. Wow. He had that much faith in us. Now, again, unfortunately, we broke up and ended it. But he, he, he stood by us when a lot of his colleagues were like, no, they aren't selling enough. The second record has gone down from the first. That's not good. We don't have time for this. Hmm. You know, we got to focus on the next Lenny Kravitz record. I mean, that, that was very real. It's such a weird business, it's a, but now it's like, you don't have to worry about getting dropped from a la- label pretty for the most part. I mean, you, you'll always be able to make music. You'll always be able to make music, but you, 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 the, the odds of making the amounts of money and doing the amounts of commerce that you could back then are completely one in a million. Um, now see, see back in the day, right or wrong, the record company, the major label, that they were the loan shark. Mm-hmm. They would advance you millions of dollars. And then you would pay that back through sales, touring, right? And then there's a certain point where you're no longer in the red, you're in the black, and then you actually start making money. So you remember back in the day when you hear a band would go gold? Yeah. Okay, so more or less, just to give you an idea, so gold was 500,000 albums. Right. If an artist sells 500,000 albums now, it's a goddamn miracle, and they're a big, big deal. Yeah. But back then, even if you were on college radio, like Radiohead, we could name lots of bands right now. If we looked back at the 90s chart that were just on college radio, some of them sold gold uh, between that and a little bit of MTV play and some touring. So basically, when you generally, when you hit gold, that's when you made so much money that you could pay back your loan from the record company. And okay. then if that, if that keeps going, now, now you're actually making money. So when you'd hear a band like Black Crows would come out, their album sold a million, two million. Well, that safe bet, they've paid back the loan and now they're actually putting money in their pockets. Right, okay. 
So that's a but good indicator. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of bands like Jellyfish that didn't quite clear gold. So for example, our first so do you album. you still owe money then? Correct. Shit. But I don't have to pay it because we got dropped. Oh. So, so if they it, drop it, you, it, it's just the deal's over. Uh, say say 10, out, 10 Jellyfish albums sell next week. If people can find them, they're not, they're not printed anymore, but those 10 records still don't go to me because we still owe money. Oh, I see. What if, what if like, uh, I mean, just hypothetically, I know this is crazy. What if like a million jellyfish records sold, then would it eventually go back to you or does it still go back to the record? It would eventually go back to me, but you'd have to convince the record company that's worth pressing them up. Yeah. Well, what about the Spotify plays that still just goes to record company until you recoup. Okay, and that's you would probably never recoup in your lifetime on that one. No, no. But like Liquor's Quartet, that's all you, right? You guys, or do you are you going to label that? No, it's all DIY. So yeah, so we have we pay for our own production costs, manufacturing costs, right? We have to pay to print up our own vinyl, and then we sell X number of vinyl, and then we have to just like a record company, we have to pay the people that help promote it, distribute it, um, helped us manufacture and do all the coordinating, ship it. And then did we make any profit? And if we did, we split it three ways. And typically if any money comes in, we've just been putting it back to the recording process. Pay for our mixing engineer, all the other people that help some press addition. You just keep forwarding it. Mm -hmm. Nobody's getting rich here, but we've had a lot of fun making these records. (laughs) Yeah. Well, cause you, I mean, you don't have to, right? Cause you have, the Beck stuff and all the, uh, the big name artists that you work with, that's like your bread and butter for money. Now this is just like, you can just do whatever you want, which is kind of nice, right? Yes, but I'm a freelance musician. So I'm constantly hustling work. Some jobs pay well, others not so well. The music business in the last 30 years, although there are, there continue to be people who become superstars and make a ton of money. Music business as a general money-making enterprise continues to go downhill because of files. Hmm. That's There's no sad. CDs being sold. There's no product being sold. The, the live touring business, that pretty much has stayed the same. That, has, that hasn't grown? Uh, not to my knowledge. In fact, tickets keep getting more and more expensive. Right. So, well, in terms of money bringing revenue, isn't the revenue grown from, from that? Because that's how you guys have to make your money now, right? Right. But what I'm saying, as far as I know, and I'm no expert on this. Yeah. In terms of uh, audiences. Cost to go on the road. Yeah. Are generally the same. Hotels, gasoline, all, whatever the overhead is for a band to go on the road. And then you're only making profit based on whatever the ticket price is. And sales. What, what I'm saying is that part of the business would seem to be generally unchanged from 20, 30 years ago. Whatever level you're at, you play a certain size club, theater, stadium. Um, and then there's money that comes in from that after your overhead is paid. So that hasn't changed versus bands don't sell CDs and vinyl anymore and cassettes. There's no product. In fact, um, they're, they're trying to make money off files, which is a joke because you can't mm-hmm. because people share files. So the yeah. business as a whole, so even, even the record companies have had a harder time making money off of artists they sign. So like 
licensing is a way that artists make money now, which means if you get your music in film, TV, yeah. or commercial. That's, but that's, that's so small, right? And the number of bands have increased. So back in the day, if Atlantic Records had 50 acts, right, and, and, and trying to get their acts on a movie, well, you only had 50 acts to worry about. Now there's 50,000. <laughs> True. Uh, there's some crazy statistic, like 60 plus thousand songs from everybody from Taylor Swift to a million people we don't, whose names we'll never know because they're making music out of their mom's basement on the computer. Every day on Spotify, 60,000 new songs are released. Dang. You want to get one of those in a, in a movie or a, or a car commercial? Good luck. Yeah, that's competitive for sure. Well, you can also it's, sell. It's more competitive than it's ever been. But it's selling competitive. merch is also, isn't that a big way to, I mean, I had one guy say that we're just a, 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 t, a sell, we sell t-shirts and uh, we, we, uh, we play the music, the jingles to sell our, our t-shirts. Like that's a that's major right. part of the right. revenue. Sure. But that's still, that's absolutely. But that still means your music has to reach as many people as possible so they can go, oh, I like this song. Now, I'm not, I, have no, I don't have to pay for the song because I'm subscribed to Spotify, but maybe I'll buy their shirt versus the new band or the, or the band who's even been around for 10 years who doesn't have a million plays. They've got 30,000 plays. They're going to sell less T-shirts. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're on that stuff, a lot of that is like you're selling – you're making money off the diehards. Like if there, there's got to be a, 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 a select group of people that are diehard jellyfish licorice quartet fans, they're going to buy anything you guys put out. You could put out the licorice quartet coffee mug and they're like, I'm, I'm on it. Like I'm, I'm getting that. That that's correct. However, figuring out how to grow that audience is the eternal conundrum for not only us, but, but any band in our situation, yeah. past or present. Right. And you, and you have, you guys all have your other stuff that you're doing. You, you're like, you said, you're a freelance musician, you're doing all this other stuff. This isn't your, you don't have a time in it, the, to put everything into this. Correct. Correct. Uh, That's hard. I would love to put all my time and energy into original music for fans, both with yeah. Quartet and continue to do my solo records. And I'm currently working on another solo EP right now, but, but I don't get up every day and do that. I work on it a few days here this month, a few days here that month. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm continuing to hustle a freelance musician. You know, you mentioned Beck earlier. Well, he's one of the artists I've worked with who's fairly known. He's continuing to do business. But my involvement with Beck is only dependent on what Beck's career is looking like in any given year. He may tour a lot. He may not tour at all. He may record a lot. He may record hard, hardly at all. He may take a, a year off. He, you know what I mean? It's, it's all over the place. So I can't go, oh, or, or Beck may change his sound from album to album and not need my services as much as he might need another gentleman or person's service, right? Because he's, he's always, his sound is not one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Sometimes his music has a lot of keyboard activity. Sometimes he uses my uh, vocal, uh, background vocal skills. Sometimes that's not necessary. So I can't bank on anything. I'm always free floating and uh, putting myself out there, trying to make sure people know about my services, uh, my skill set, blah, 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 blah. I have people I work with now who are now discovering jellyfish stuff. They're like, I didn't know you did that. Well, that's great. Well, 
we should try to do something like that next time we work together or whatever. So this is constant education process, uh, you know, because, because people's attention spans are 10 seconds long because <laughs> everything in the world is fighting for their attention. Um, so I've been very, very, you know, and as dire as that can sound, I've been very, very blessed over the years and continue to be. Um, and, uh, it, it is what it is. You know, this, this is stuff they don't teach and they can't teach in music school. Uh, this is, this is get out in the real world, start falling down, picking yourself back up and learning from your mistakes. And just, you just, you know, why do you have success in this business? Cause you don't stop and you don't give up and you just keep, 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 keep going. And then at the end of the day, you can only do what you do. I roll out of bed in the morning and as you've seen, I'm kind of predisposed and enjoy, and my skill set is kind of writing the songs in the style that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I don't get up out of bed in the morning and naturally, very organically write stuff like Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift. I could, if I put my architect cap on and analyze all the components to their music, I could certainly do that. But it would actually be wouldn't be natural for me. That's not how I think, mm -hmm. nor do I have any interest in thinking that way. I, in fact, I don't, I, it's hard for me to even relate to it. I, it's, they're, they're speaking a language that the uh, machinist and architect and, and music school graduate part of me can absolutely dissect and understand, and I can reverse engineer, no problem. It's not an extension of my soul at all. The extension of my soul is what you've heard and, and what, oh, yeah. people, what people will bring me in on, on session recordings or whatever. Yeah. You know, as a keyboardist or arranger. Do you like, yeah. obviously you like writing the music, obviously you like playing the music. It sounds like obviously, I mean, clearly most musicians probably don't like a lot of the business stuff. What about the recording process? Cause you guys recorded this on your own. Are you into the gear and stuff? And like, I got to use this guitar and this through this amp and all this. Or are you just like, I just want to play music. I, somebody else do that. Uh, well, uh, twofold. I mean, I enjoy when other people engineer for me, mm -hmm. take care of capturing the sound into the computer or on the tape. Um, I'm fascinated by that. And I like being informed by it so I can make intelligent decisions and comments to the, hmm the people doing that to the engineering side of that and simultaneously i am fascinated by all kinds of musical equipment past and present including software um i mean i have a huge vintage keyboard collection because i i love the history of keyboards and the giant sound palette that the last 50 years of electronic keyboards um and acoustic keyboards can can provide for me as an arranger but i'm just as fascinated by guitar pedals and all the sounds a guitarist can get and, and what different plugins do to different sounds when you've got audio in the computer. But I'm not, I don't go super deep on that. In fact, I'm fairly ignorant about a lot of things um, because I'm more interested in just the art of the song, uh, song craft and how I can create better melodies and grooves and feels and riffs quicker uh, and in a more, I'm, I'm just, con I'm continually fascinated by that process and mm -hmm. less fascinated by the other processes. But, yeah. Oh, okay. But you kind of, you kind of, you kind of have to pay attention to all of it because you got to be able to talk intelligently about it. 
Otherwise, you're going to be at the mercy of other people's crappy ideas. Oh. You don't know any better. You don't, you don't know how good a stereo guitar sound can sound if you get stuck with an engineer who doesn't do that very well. You can't comment on it intelligently until you hear somebody else's record and go, why do their guitars sound much more bigger and present and fantastic than my guitars do? It's basically because of who engineered it. Oh, that's interesting. Cause like some of these bands that uh, some of the newer bands will sound kind of retro, like the black keys. I'm like, how do they get that? Like that's completely sound. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really those, cool. I know those gentlemen and they are. Oh, you do? Very smart. They're very aware of what they're doing and they're very studied. When they started out, they may have had other people in taking care of the technical engineering part of it. Yeah. They, they have learned that world inside and out and are very in command of what they want and what they don't want. And they've spent a lot of their wealth buying up vintage equipment to help them make it sound that good or mm -hmm. that, that way that you describe. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause that's one of those bands. that's like, you're like, okay, this they're doing it. They're, they're, they're like a big rock act in 2022. That's hard to do to be, to play arenas as a newer act they're not a vintage like 70s and 80s band they're a they were formed in what 97 or something like that like yeah, something like that yeah yeah no they sound great you said keyboards you have a, a vintage collection of keyboards yeah do you have one of those uh what do, what do you call the guitar type keyboards from the 80s that well they they didn't really have a name other than you could strap them on yeah so my friends you play that to, my friends and i used to call them strap-ons and then somebody uh, refer to them as a keytar, which I think is a much funner and cooler name. Yeah. Um, a keytar, I've owned keytars. Uh, Moog put out uh, a keytar in the 70s, 80s called the Moog Liberation. Um, and I've owned that in the past, but I've never performed with them. I don't, I don't enjoy performing them. They're awkward and I think they look, they're just too damn goofy for me and an extension of my personality. I'm not opposed to it. Yeah. Um, I've actually... I actually used them. We performed with them in the Moog Cookbook, which was kind of a it was a serious musical act, but we did a lot of comedic music. And when we, we performed, it was uh, to make people smile and laugh. So we put those on, uh, and many people smiled and laughed. <laughs> I just uh, remember when I was a kid, my dad came home with one of those one day, and he gave it to me, and I was like, I could never freaking play the thing. I'm, I've, I don't have any musical talent, but I just thought it'd be funny. I always thought they were cool looking, and they, they were like kind of comical. <laughs> But I remember getting one as a kid in the 80s. I wish I could have learned how to play it. But yeah, so you mentioned the Moog cookbook. That was the one where you guys wore the spacesuits, right? Yeah, that was my it, partner, Brian Kehue, and I. That was a duo we had during the Imperial Drag days. It was Okay, I love Imperial Drag too. Did Daft Punk, did they rip the, those spacesuit thing? Did they rip that off from you, or is that just a coincidence, you think? I have no proof of that, but do you know the French band Air? No. So the French band Air was an instrumental group they had a little bit of vocals. It was mostly instrumental. They came out in the late 90s, same time Daft Punk did. Okay. That was when a lot of the world was paying attention to French pop music. that was had. They were kind of having a renaissance. Hmm. A lot of cool and a lot of dance stuff. But Air, Air wasn't really dance. They, there was a lot of synth-oriented music. Anyway, we became friends with them. In fact, to the point where we, we toured, me, my friend Brian, and Moog Cookbook, and some other gentlemen, we were the backup band for air who were French guys uh, when we, we toured the States and toured uh, Europe in 1998, promoting their first album, which was on Virgin records. It did very, very well for them. 
Um, anyway, so we got to know them very well. And they told us that the Daft Punk guys did not put their masks on until we played Moog Cookbook for them. Really? Now, let me be perfectly clear. <laughs> the Moog Cookbook was not the first band to do that. There were bands in the 70s that wore spacesuits. We didn't know about them. We found out when the internet started getting more popular, um, you could do research and YouTube started having mm-hmm. all these videos. We discovered, oh my God, there was this disco band from France in the 70s called, they were called Space. Oh. Look them up right now. They wore spacesuits with space helmets. Okay. Now, we didn't, they, they never did any business in America. We yeah. would have never seen their records. So we didn't know. So I'm not accusing Daft Punk of ripping us off. I'm just saying it was, it was in the air and the timing is very interesting. And yeah. the guy in the air said they weren't doing that until Moog Cookbook came out. You may have inspired them in some ways. Yeah. Something like that. That's and pretty I cool. Love, I love that band. And that's fucking compliment if they, if they were inspired by our space outfits. Well, there must have been a lot of bands that you've... I mean, the Black Crows loved you enough to take you on tour when you were in Jellyfish for six weeks. It was like during the peak of their success, right? And yep. you guys had not really broken... I think you had just come out and they were like, yeah, we're taking this band. That's a huge compliment. There must be tons more like stories like that, right? Well, that was a goddamn miracle. I mean, we are indebted to those guys to this day. Uh, I'm still friendly with them. I don't see them very often, but I've spoken to Steve Gorman in the last year, Chris Robinson, his brother. Um, yeah, that was an incredible gift to come into contact with them. Uh, World Party had us open for them. Tears for Fears had us open for them. Um, there have been scattered things here and there uh, in the brief time Jellyfish toured. Uh, wonderful compliments from people we admired. Yeah, what was it like touring with Tears for Fears? Because you were you grew up with that band, like you were fans of them as as in the eighties. Big time. Uh, it was it was great in that not only did I enjoy the music they were still making at that time, or at that point they'd broken up. It was just Roland, just one one of the two original members. Mm. Um, and you know, got to tell them to their face, "Thank you for all the great music. Thank you for inspiring me wanting to be in this business at all." Yeah. yeah, no, that's really cool. I heard you say, um, speaking of inspiration, um, so you were going to music school. It was, was it, it was next to the Lucas art and art and film school, or was this all one school combined? Uh, no, it was at USC and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at the clock. I can make sure I'm off in 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Sure. Just, yeah, just, uh, 10 minutes. We'll, I'll, I'll make sure you're off. Yeah. No, I just remember you saying that, um, the, the people from the film school part of that had the best ideas and and they had the best parties and that was the most that was more inspiring because the music people were all classically cha- trained and very by the book whereas the film people were more free i guess you nailed it i mean nothing wrong with the musicians at the usc film school it's just they were a little bit more by the book a little more uniform um and meanwhile the film school which just happened to be physically located all of its buildings next to the next to the music school um and i had roommates who were in the film school um i found i was hanging out at their parties they were the ones putting together college rock party bands they were the ones turning me on to music that i didn't know about they were the ones turning me on to film and visual stuff that i didn't know about um they were the ones being hired to make low budget videos for local music bands 
So it was just like, wow, it's way more interesting over here with these freaks. <laughs> um, you know, my mind's being opened up more by them than anybody at the music school. That's all. Yeah. So it's just whatever I, happened. I, all those... I was very thankful for that. Yeah, that's cool. Did any of those guys go on to make cool movies or TV shows or anything like that? Oh, both of my roommates who, who were roommates of mine for uh, at least three of the four years I was in college. I've gone one is uh, basically focused much more on television. Steve Turner. He's been with HBO forever. I mean, he was he was Martin Scorsese's right hand man on Boardwalk Empire three years ago. Nice. His 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 career list of projects would blow your mind. And this was wow. a guy, like, you know, I go to parties, get drunk with and wish we could have the courage to go talk to that girl standing over in the corner of the room. You know, and we were total like just art nerds together. <laughs> Another roommate uh, became one of the most to this day is one of the most successful screenwriters in Los Angeles. He his name is David S. Goyer. He did Batman Returns. He did a lot of the superhero movies. Um, one of his main jobs, one of his main jobs is he's kind of like this script emergency repairman. So hmm. say the film is in Australia, you know, or in New Zealand on this big budget production and they're filming according to this, the screenplay, right? But they've run into some financial or logistical situation that they couldn't afford seeing. Well, you're halfway through the film. You can't just stop. You got to fix the challenge the challenge may involve rewriting some of the screenplay. Like, how are we going to get ourselves out of this mess? It's got to have continuity. Right. We need to bring in the, prof the professionals. So he may get flown into New Zealand to start talking to the director, the heads of the studio. Here's the assignment. Here's what I think we should do. I'm going to go away for a week and see if I can't write you guys out of this shit storm that you've gotten yourselves into. <laughs> I don't wow. have to tell you, there's not too many script surgeons in Los Angeles, you know, who are equipped to do that. That's so going to be a tough really, job. Yeah. So he's really uh, risen through the ranks of his profession in a way that none of us could have foreseen back then. And, you know, interestingly enough, that gentleman was the guy that spent money on the most clever, eccentric, weirdo records when we were all in college. He loved like Australian pop records and a lot of underground stuff that none of us knew about. And he would buy these records and we'd be like, what the hell is, what, what is this? You know? And, and he was, uh, he would turn us on to a lot of music. That's awesome. I and love he, that kind of stuff. A musician. That's funny. Yeah. That's see, that's like me. I, I can't play music, but I love music and I love, it's funny you bring up movies. Cause I think the same thing with like licorice quartet and jellyfish, there's a lot of like mainstream stuff that I'm like, it just sounds the same. And then when I hear that kind of stuff, I go, Oh, this is, a, and it's the same with uh, indie movies. Like I'll watch movies and I go, Oh, this, every movie is the same. And then I'll find this amazing indie movie that I'm like blown away at the plot and the acting and it, and no one's heard of it. And it's well, so frustrating. You have, you have to dig. I have to dig harder than ever now to find new music that inspires me. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and it's worth it when you dig. Yeah, there's so much out there. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do the podcast, expose people to all the good stuff that they're they're not aware of, but they should be. Thank you in advance. Yeah. <laughs> My massive audience of like 200 people or whatever. But hey, the podcasts keep growing and they get bigger and bigger and bigker. Yeah, that's people the goal. Love, people love these private environments. Oh, I love I love doing like it. Belong to a club. 
Yeah, I, I want to have in in studio uh, in a few years. Eventually, eventually that's going to be the goal. Now, are you guys going to tour? I think I asked Eric this, and he was like, "Oh, I don't think so," because uh, it's it's just hard to tour as the Licorice Quartet. Or would you do some one-off shows? Because I think that's the thing now is like people do these fly-in dates. And uh, I think they told me, like, somebody told me that they don't even bring their own drums so they can fly in and they just use the drums at the casino. Well, that cer- certainly. And with drums, you can do that. Keyboards yeah. is a different story than guitars. Could um, you, you could but, fit a keyboard on a plane, right? Yeah. Not, not a carry-on, but you could check it. But so, so the only thing that you're talking about that would prevent Licorice Quartet tomorrow from doing even like a mini tour of the States. Yeah. Say 10 shows in yeah. major markets. I'll come out and see you. It's all money. So we have, we would have to have some machine involved that says, if you play this small club in Ohio for X amount of people, I can, and I can guarantee those ticket sales. Then you'll put this much in your pocket, which pays all your expenses to rehearse, not only yourself, but the other band members you're going to have to pay to be in your band. Cause you're only three people get yourselves out to this show, put everybody up in a hotel, pay a crew to help you with all your lug, all your heavy equipment. I mean, you start getting this logistics list that is crazy. And at the end of the day, you go, guys, we're actually going to make some money. We're going to go out. We're going to rehearse for, you know, a month, do the tour, blah, blah. This is going to be about a three month thing. This much money is going to come in or should come in, should, (laughs) <laughs> this much money is going to go out. Well, we already know it's going to go out. That's, that's guaranteed. <laughs> Cost versus overhead. Three months. At the end of the day, we're probably going to make money. You're probably going to go home with this. You divide that by three people. Blah, 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 blah. You probably go home with about 1500 bucks, maybe $2,000 in your pocket if you're lucky. And we go, is $2,000 worth three months? Oh, that'd be for the whole three months? Right. Oh. No, maybe more if, like if, a, if we're lucky, we probably would lose money. Well, maybe a better option would be either playing some of those festivals, those giant festivals where there's like a hundred bands or something. And they, they pay, they, I think they pay everybody well, or, or some they, like they, the black they crows. Pay, they pay people well at the top. At the top. And then towards the bottom, you're lucky to be even getting invited. Well, damn so, it. So, so I'm not saying there's not ways to do this, for example, if, some, if somebody came to us tomorrow and said, I'm putting together the Beach Boys cruise and I want you guys to be one of the opening acts on the Beach Boys cruise and it's going to be whatever it is. All I want to know about. Now, obviously, that would be fun to play for Beach Boys fans who might know Jellyfish, want to hear pop music, want to hear vocals, harmonies. I already know the audience is going to be cool. They're going to be into it. That's great. All I really want to know is what is my guarantee for the three of us? Because then that's going to tell us the, the promoter that's just going to put it all together. The promoter for the for the pop cruise, the power pop cruise, is going to be able to guarantee us X amount of dollars. And then I look at Tim and Eric and we discuss, here's all the work we have to do to take these very involved songs that we've given the public and try to recreate them live, including rehearsal. Dude, I can't even remember the lyrics to my own song. <laughs> doing 20 million things. So yeah. I'd have to spend time memorizing my lyrics, right? So there's going to be a time investment, all that stuff. And then me and Eric and Tim go, the promoter's guaranteeing X amount of dollars in our pocket. We go home with X amount of dollars. Is it worth all the work and time for that amount of money? Gotcha. That, well, that, pers- that person hasn't shown up and there's no power, poop, 
power pop crews going out as far as I know, and they're not knocking on our door. Well, I have faith. I have a feeling that something's going to either the new a Black Crows type of band is going to want to take you on the road or a festival. Something's going to happen. I have, a, I have faith it's going to happen. I'm going to see you guys live. I know it. Uh, but I know you got to get out of here. So my last thing. What's that? I love your faith. Yeah. Because uh, you guys are so good. Um, is there a Thank charity you. that you want to promote here? I always tr- promote a charity at the end. Is there or just, you know, some quick shout out to a cause that is near and dear to your heart? I don't have any specific. But for God's sakes, everybody pay as much attention politically as you can, particularly if you're like me from the past. You didn't pay attention to politics. You didn't give a damn. Right. <laughs> um, the, the country is up for being sold out, and we have to pay attention to this. And the best way to this day, obviously, we can protest and make our voices heard, peaceful protest. But voting in the midterms coming up and then voting locally. Anytime something's happening locally, Mm -hmm. town, city, state. Now more than ever, you basically have no choice. If if you don't participate and get your voice heard, the country will be sold. Yeah. Okay. Register to vote. Let's get people to do that. Cause I think it's always weird when I see these election results and they're like, yeah, only uh, 40% of the country voted. I'm like, what? Why would you not vote? I don't understand. It's so bizarre, but okay. That's what I said when I found that out. Yeah, it's crazy. So, well, thank you so much. I know you got to get running. So, uh, I appreciate you doing this. And everybody, get the new Licorice Quartet stuff. It's amazing. This has been great, Chuck. Thank you for your time and thank All you right. for uh, promoting us on your show. Yeah, thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Roger Joseph Manning Jr., uh, he's one of those creative geniuses that is really good at expressing himself and explaining his outlook on things. Uh, some guys are just quiet geniuses, but Roger is just so interesting to talk to. Definitely the type of guy you'd want to talk to at a party, and I wish we had more time, uh, but hopefully we can have him back on. So check out the new Licorice Quartet, uh, their music, and if you haven't already, make sure to do a deep dive and check out some of his old stuff, Jellyfish, Imperial Drag, uh, his solo stuff, and make sure to follow Roger and the Licorice Quartet on social media, uh, and then check out my podcast page on Instagram or TikTok for short clips, uh, and I'll post the full episodes of the show on Facebook and Twitter. Or if you just subscribe to the show on Spotify or YouTube or wherever you listen, uh, you can cut out the middleman that way. So your downloads, listens, likes, comments, shares, all that stuff that helps support the show and helps the show grow. Uh, We don't have a large corporation backing us up right now. So this is all just grassroots. So any help you can give us uh, to help the show is greatly appreciated. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. 